The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today, Elder Buddy Abernathy continues looking at the letter to the church at Philadelphia as contained in the third chapter of Revelation. We saw yesterday that there were no real criticisms of this church, but yet the church still needed Christ in order to face the daily struggles of life. My friends, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if Christ had no criticism of our church? And yet, we still need Christ in order to make it in these troublesome times. Join us as we continue looking at Philadelphia and learn some lessons about our need for Christ. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
See, Paul didn't want to preach to just anybody. He said in 1 Thessalonians, I believe, chapter 3, he says, maybe, let me turn to that because I want to give you the specific location. It's 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, brethren, talking to the church, pray for us. Now notice, instead of having a mission board, what we're consistently instructed to do is to pray about this matter. He said in Colossians 4, praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. And here in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul is saying, I want you to pray that doors would be open so that the, my preaching would have the same effect on others that it has had upon you, the church at Thessalonica. But notice what he also asked the church to pray. Now the religious world wouldn't understand this. He says, I want you to also pray this, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Many in the religious world today think, well, we need to go preach to people and persuade them to place their faith in Christ. Paul said, I don't want to go preach to people that don't have faith. Amen. Now, I understand the idea of a child of God, born of the Spirit, needing to be enlightened as to what Jesus did for them. And instead of placing their faith in their works as their means of getting to heaven, they need to place their faith in Christ. And that's very important because uh, when, you, when you believe that Christ is your Savior, that brings you to the end of the law for righteousness. That brings you to the end of thinking that I've got to keep myself right with God. So it is very important to teach God's children to put their faith in Christ as opposed to their works. But Paul is speaking here of unregenerate men that don't have faith even in the, in the most uh, uh, basic form. You know, faith is a, a result of the new birth. And if someone has faith, you can teach them what they need to place that faith in. But if they're void of faith, he says here, brethren, pray that God will keep me away from people that are not born again. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, I don't want to go preach to people that aren't saved. Now you understand that God's people that are born again, that are saved in that sense, need to be saved from error to truth. You know, when Paul told Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth, that literally means to cut straight. Paul was a tent maker, and if he didn't cut it straight, it would not match and fit together. That's the way the Bible is. When you understand, regardless of the label you put on it, there is eternal salvation and there's time or temporal salvation. Now, Time salvation is a man-made label. I understand that. But whenever people criticize that label, I haven't found a suitable one yet to replace it. 
It's like I heard uh, Brother Lonnie Mazingo Jr. Uh, say one time, he was a speaking of a church that had departed from our fundamental doctrine, and one of the first things they did was do away with the label time salvation because they said it was confusing, and he said there's been nothing but confusion since you did away with it. Now, we as primitive Baptists, and I'm, I just want to emphasize this point, we know when I say I'm speaking of time salvation, you already know what I mean. But if I was preaching to a group of people that had never heard our doctrine, I may not even use that label. So we do need to be conscious and considerate of who we're talking to. Matter of fact, it may be wise not to use that label. When you're having a personal conversation, you could just say, well, we believe God saved us in Christ, but we can live in such a way that we can ruin our lives in this world or we can live in such a way that we can save our lives from many hardships and heartbreaks in this world. There's ways you can explain it that you don't use the label. But if I'm primarily preaching the primitive Baptist, I can use that label without going into a lot of explanation. Now that's enough said about that. Paul said we want to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. So, when Paul uses that analogy of a door being opened, he's saying... I want the gospel to be blessed of the Spirit and have free course to go forward unhindered and take root in the hearts of God's children so that they're enlightened, they're converted, and they find rest in the finished work of Christ. But when Jesus through John, uses this analogy to the door as it applies to the church at Philadelphia, he has something else in consideration. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Here he's speaking to the church that just has a little strength. I believe speaking of a very small membership, insignificant in the eyes of the community, but by the way, Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. Sometimes we want to use that to justify a declining, dying church. That's not the point. But Jesus is saying that his church will always be insignificant in number compared to the mega churches and all the other religious institutions out there. But when he is speaking here of a door being opened, He's not speaking so much of doors being opened so that people would be 
enlightened and converted. Here he's speaking of the church accessing the blessings of the kingdom of God. Did you know there is a direct connection between heaven and earth? You remember when Jacob saw that ladder and the angels of God were ascending and descending? The activity of heaven is part of what's going on in the church here. Think of it this way. That Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit, when He meets with us like we're all convinced He did this weekend, He has the key that opens the door to the blessings of heaven. You don't have the ability to bring revival, do you? We're totally helpless unless the door opens in heaven and pours down blessings. I believe it was in Malachi uh, where he said, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith and see that if, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Jesus is the only one that has the key to open that door. That's why we never advertise that we're going to have a revival at Zion Church. And I'm not critical of people that, that have that because they, that I realize that perhaps they don't understand what, what that's conveyed. But we can't predict, forecast, or plan a revival. We can pray for one, but we don't have that key that opens heaven's door that will then pour out His blessings. Jesus has that key. Amen. Now, though we're talking about the church being blessed, I don't want to get off track, but I do want to make this point that even in your personal devotion. You can access these blessings as Jesus, as your intercessor, opens the door. See, there's one intercessor between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus, and He's your intercessor. Furthermore, He's your advocate. When you pray, do you try to picture in your mind that Jesus is the go-between? He's the one taking your prayers to God. He's the one that makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He's the one that knows exactly how you feel when you can't verbalize it. And He takes it to God. And as your advocate, He pleads your case before God. He says, Lord, this is one of those I died for. This is one of those you gave me. And they're in trouble. Their burden. So he's our intercessor when we pray and he pleads our case. But you know, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, beginning with verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Notice this, you have access to something you're already standing in. That, in, in, a, in a way, doesn't make sense. That'd be like me saying, well, I have a key where I can get in the church building, but I'm already in the church building. 
That doesn't make sense. But again, when you cut straight, here's what he's saying. You have access to something that you already have a positional standing in. Every child of God positionally right now stands in the grace of God. But a lot of times you don't, you don't enjoy that position in this life, do you? But we have access. It's user-friendly. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. But notice the main lesson here in Revelation is how that concept applies to the church assembly. The church is a body and how Jesus will open up heaven and pour out blessings upon us. He says, uh, I, I, I can open the door and no man can shut. Notice a couple examples of this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, and I love the way this is described. You know, because we tend to think, well, while we're here on earth, you know, we enjoy the church, we enjoy the kingdom of God. And when the Lord comes back, we're going to enjoy the eternal kingdom. And there is a sense in which they're to be separated. I understand that. But there's also a sense in which they're to be connected. Now notice what Peter's talking about here. 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, this is where he tells us in 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, he tells us to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. There's a lifelong assignment. And when you get to the last one where you add charity, you go to 1 Corinthians 13 and you'll probably just read the, the, the first one, that des- the first thing there that describes charity and you'll decide I'm not anywhere close where I'm supposed to be. So here he's dealing with obedience. He's dealing with growth. If you consider these things to add to your faith, I believe they're mentioned in the order they are for a reason. This is a progressive thing. You're you're to add these disciplines and these these, uh, qualities to your character and they build on each other. So it's, it's within the context of learning to behave in a way that glorifies the Lord that he then says, verse 11, let's just read verse 9 to get the meaning here. He says, He that lacketh these things, those things you add to your faith, is blind. That means, I believe in the context here, he's nearsighted. Because he then says, and cannot see afar off. He's not blind in the complete sense that we would think about. You know, Brother Mike Ivey, whenever he preaches, he has to do like this because he's nearsighted. He can only see clearly 
for a very short distance. And if you're driving and you can only see clearly for about a car length in front of you, you don't need to be driving. And if you're living life that way, you're not adding to your faith, you're not living the way God says, you're going to have a wreck because you can't see the consequences of what you're about to do. A lot of God's people are blind. You can't be blind unless you're alive, can you? But notice the point here. Verse 10, wherefore the, brethren, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That's not to make it sure with God, it's to make it sure with you. To have a, a sense of assurance, make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, these things we've already read to add to your faith, if you do these things you shall never fall. Now watch this. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is not saying you're going to go to heaven if you live right. And what I mean by that, he's not going to say if, if you just live good enough, you'll be a, like Elijah and you'll just go on up to heaven. That's not the point. The point is you're going to access the blessings of heaven. Have you ever been able to rejoice when you're in blatant rebellion against God? You know, Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You can't pursue an idol and be at peace with the Lord at the same time. I love this language. Notice, when you are striving to grow and develop a godly character, here's what happens. An entrance shall be ministered. That's the same basic idea of Jesus opening a door. An entrance is ministered. He's the one opening it. He's the one ministering to you. And He says it will be opened unto you abundantly into what? The everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we are having a, a very spiritually blessed meeting, that's what's happening. It's like I heard a preacher say one time when he had been in a real good meeting, and at this meeting, 55 people were baptized, and he said, we almost went to heaven that night. That's what he's talking about here. It's like you almost go to heaven. But see, if the, if the one that has the key shuts the door and locks it, we won't have these blessings. The Lord has given us these blessings here. We can't access them unless the Lord is pleased to bless us. And the Lord will always be pleased to bless the church when they are seeking Him first and faithful to live in a way that honors Him and, and strive to have unity and peace among them. I've seen churches where the Lord took the key and locked that door. And no matter what the people did, the church just kept dying. Now look at one more in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Now this talks specifically about the church. And yet it applies 
the concept of eternity to the church. We normally don't think of those two things as mixing, but notice what he says in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Now you can't just apply that to the local assembly, can you? The local assembly is to be the is to be the best representative, the clearest picture, the place where you can most access the blessings of God here on earth. And when the Lord comes back, that door is just going to open even wider because we're going to enter the place where those blessings are coming from. So Paul, Paul is speaking about the church now. He says regarding the first century church, unto Him be glory in the church. That's present tense, isn't it? But he says glory in the church, how? By Christ Jesus. But then he says throughout all ages which would embrace us in comparison to the first century, wouldn't it? Here we are 2,000 years later with, uh, uh, throughout all ages, but then he says world without end. You know, when Paul told the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he said, Take heed unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you the overseer to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now you see the two concepts there? If we believe, brother, that the Lord has made brother Chris overseer of Zion Church and it's his job to feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made him overseer. But then it describes it as the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. He's not the, the, the temporal overseer of the whole family of God. See, here's another place where they're, they're you might say, are blended together. Those that he is laboring among as pastor are just a microscopic portion of the church which he hath purchased when his own blood. Usually the word church refers to a local assembly. But when he speaks of that church world without end, that's the church of all of God's elect people. And that church has not had their first meeting yet. When the Lord comes back, you'll be at the first meeting of that church. I realize the Lord's people are with Him now, but this church made up of those that He's purchased with His blood, every member of that church is going to attend that first meeting. <laughs> you know, it's hard, it's hard to get 50 people together at one meeting here. I, we probably haven't had a meeting yet where every member of Zion Church was here but multiplied millions or billions 
that are members of that church will all be there at that first meeting. So I want you to not take for granted that the one with the key has opened the door here at Zion and blessings are being funneled in, so to speak. And pray that the Lord will open it every time we meet and that we'll live in such a way that he'll be pleased to do that. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.